Even if you're just a casual fan of cycling, you've heard of the Tour de France. And if you're into BC road cycling, the first week of the Tour is also a special week here in our province. It is, of course, BC's Cycling Super Week, a series of races in the Lower Mainland that showcase the up-and-coming talent not only from our province and country, but all across the world. With us tonight is event director Mark Ernstein. Mark, welcome to Fitspeak. Hi guys, thanks for having me on your show. So Mark, it's been a long time coming. We uh, love promoting cycling, the cycling community on all sorts of fronts, and you're one of the, the big guys in our province as far as road cycling goes. How long have you been associated with Super Week? Well, we're going into our 11th year now. So when we started in 2008 uh, with the Tour de Delta, uh, that was the start, and from there on it just continued to grow until we now have the series the way it is. Now, tell us a little bit about the history of Super Week. You've been with them for quite some time. Yes. So, I mean, the series started as independent races with one of the most historic events, uh, the Gastown Grand Prix, which started in 1973. Uh, It was founded or started by the late Dr. Roger Sumner, and it's had some on-and-off years throughout the 46 years now uh, that it's been around. Uh, Then one of the longest road races in North America that never had a break uh, is the Tour de White Rock. Yeah, those are the two races that kind of, you know, started the, the cycling series here and then 18 or 19 years going into it now, Tour de Delta, uh, the mayor approached the mayor of White Rock and said, we'd like to emulate a, an event similar to what you guys are doing. And so I would say 19 years ago is when the first sort of official series came about because then those three events lined uh, Gas Town used to also be on a weekend event, same with White Rock. Uh, when they came involved, uh, that's when they said, okay, well, the two Tour de Delta and Tour de White Rock would be on the two weekends, and uh, Gas Town was then on the Wednesday. And then over those next 19 years, uh, it just has continued to progress with other cities becoming involved. So the next city that became involved was uh, after you present the Giro de Bernardi, and they're up on Hastings Street, so they're technically on the Thursday night. And uh, then we had UBC Grand Prix, and that morphed and moved its platform to the Poco Grand Prix, which is presented by Dominion Lending Centers, which is on the Friday night. And then most recently, now for two years running, is the New West Grand Prix. So that makes up sort of the series now for uh, 10 days. And we've been looking through the uh, history of the race a little bit, and there's been some massive names who have been doing these events. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... If you look at, and that's where history creates a pedigree, especially if you look at, like, the Global Relay Gastown Grand Prix race and the Tour de White Rock Road race, if you look at the winners of those events, uh, especially the Canadians, most of them have all gone on to representing Canada at the World Championships or at the Olympics and have even, you know, taken part in uh, the highest uh, Grand Tour races uh, around the world. So, you know, I think it's, it's very, it's for the young guys that are come up and coming, when they look at that trophy and, and look at the names that are on there, it's something that they really strive for because they know that if they can actually win one of these races, they've got a really good chance at, at making themselves uh, known and, and have a good career. Absolutely. They make a huge name for themselves by winning one of those larger events. It would appear to me that my sidekick, Kevin Watt, has a question for you. <laughs> well, not uh, not a question, just a, just a comment. Uh, you got nine races over 10 days, is that correct? Uh, yeah, and uh, two of them are UCI. Uh, we, don't, we have one of the only uh, road races on, at the Delta Sunday road race at the UCI uh, 2, 1.2 uh, 
I'm sorry, 2.1 road race for men and women uh, in Western Canada, and uh, also the Gaston Grand Prix race is uh, UCI criterion. So just uh, speaking from a, a background of not too keen on cycling, so you're already making a distinction between a UCI race and a non-UCI race. Uh, how is that important? So the importance of this is that, and maybe you should reflect back a little bit further on why BC Super Week also really exists in the grand scheme of what we wanted to do. Uh, the whole point of the series amongst all the cities is to be able to host an international event for our local riders to have other riders come from around the world to compete against rather than them having to go and spend money to go abroad to uh, achieve that. And so by doing so, uh, when we were talking to the cities about the next steps about what we could do, having a UCI event was a, is a big factor, not only for our local community, but also for the National Cycling Federation uh, for Cycling Canada, because the points that the Canadian athletes and Canadian teams uh, receive during that race, if their athletes do well, carries over to the athletes. So it increases their stock value, in essence, when they're looking at the next jump in their career. Uh, it stays with the team, so that way the team then increases its profile by being able to get invites to higher-level sanctioned events. And then it also goes to the nation. And the, higher, the more points that we have as a nation, let's just say in the under-25 category or whichever it is that we're, we're looking to, to achieve those points for, that creates an extra starting spot, let's say, at the Road World Championships or maybe at the Olympic Games. And so it's very, very critical for our athletes to be doing well there at these events because it's a good opportunity for them to, to receive these types of points. So uh, if I was to wrap that up in one or two words it's it's a significance not only does it save some of our local racers whether they're from british columbia from western canada or from canada at large um, it also contributes to their i suppose you could say their cycling uh, resume having participated in one of these higher ranked and uh, um, sanctioned events absolutely and you know there's lots of names and guys locally that could probably uh, say that because they did well at one of these events or a few of the events throughout the series, it was giving them an opportunity to go on to another team. You know, if you look at a few of the guys that uh, the local DC Bank Pro Cycling team has picked up, it, it's based on sort of what we've seen at them do at these types of events. And it gives them that opportunity then to, to then, you know, travel the world and, and really uh, go to the next level. And then from there, they have to, again, you know, achieve the same results at the next level for them to go on to another step, you know, even further. But there's a lot of Canadians here and lower mainland guys that uh, have had the benefit of doing well at these events and being able to then get picked up by the next team. And to be able to do it uh, in our backyard is is certainly a bonus. Looking at it now from a rider's perspective, you've got a series of the nine races. Um, in your experience in running these events and talking to the to the competitors, what are a couple of the races that really stand out as the riders' choices? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, and I don't know that there's an actual perfect answer of one or two that, that stand out. So as a group, what we've done when we looked at selecting some of the cities and the courses in the cities, we've tried to create a bit of a range of styles so that it doesn't all suit one particular style of, let's say, a sprinter or it's not all climbing, you know, road races that suits just climbers. So I think there's a, some there's some guys that really gear uh, and, and ride really, really well at, like, a Delta road race and a White Rock road race. Uh, and then 
go back to more becoming a support rider for some of their more crit type riders. So I, I was just going right. to interject for a minute, Mark. So you're talking about the Delta and the White Rock. What makes those races a little bit different that wouldn't suit everybody? Well, for the road races, one is the, the duration of the race, and then particularly for the White Rock road races is, is the repetitiveness of the hills uh, mm. that they face. And that definitely doesn't lend itself to a true sprinter. Um, and if it does... You know, someone like Gord Fraser, as an example, has done always very, very well at something like that as well. But that just shows the next level of sort of athlete that that individual is, if they are also identified as a sprinter and, and still can do well. But if you think about people like Brian Walton, who have come through, you know, the ranks at the lower level and then made it made, made their way to the highest level in the sport and even the Olympic medal, you know, he's won that road race. Um, I think he holds the record, actually, on, on it. So, you know, that's... Um, it says something when, when those guys kind of come back for these types of races and, and want to do it in their careers um, that uh, I think puts a real shine on it for the young guys to be able to say, okay, you know, this is the week that I have to do really, really well at. And that's a, a race that they can prove themselves and compare themselves to Canadian yeah. and international riders who have excelled at that race over the history of the longstanding White Rock Grand Prix. Yeah. And one thing we've been really good at, uh, proud of doing is, is uh, growing the women's event. And that's something when we started the series, or not started the series, but became involved with the series, uh, there were about 35 ladies on the start line. We're now at just under 120 ladies that are registered for the series. And on average, you know, 60 ladies that would be on the start line for every race. And they're talented, and it's really quality uh, participants that are there. Uh-huh. We've also had to increase the laps for their races because their average speeds have gone up so high. So I think we're seeing a real uh, nice growth in that in the model. And we've also then in the last few years added the youth race. So every BC Super Week has to, have to host a youth race. And that's a 25-minute race uh, for men and women. We put them all together in the, same, in the same race. And it gives them an opportunity to ride in front of those crowds. You know, there's some races that... You know, on average, it's five to 10,000 people at most of the races. We're not having, you know, close to 20,000 people at the race. So when you're 15 years old or 14 years old and you're, you're on these streets that are, you know, where the pros are racing and you get to go on the same podium that the pros get to go on and get the same awards that they get to go on, receive and all of these things, we don't do money for them. But, mm. you know, in that sense, it, that's, to me, that's inspirational. Um, you know, if that wasn't around, I would say, 20 years ago when we were trying to race you know, in that sense for that age group, right? So. Yeah, what a motivational thing. And for the up-and-coming youth racers, that gives them an opportunity to to really feel what it's like in an outstanding event and, you know, for better or for worse, feel the pressure and the accolades of a huge crowd. Now, one quick question, Mark. How would a, a young racer qualify to race at one of these events? So if they want to race at the pro level, uh, they have to have a category one or two uh license and for the road race the the uci event they have to be an elite so they can't be a junior or a masters on the other extreme but for all the other races uh they as a junior even can upgrade for this series they are receiving uh, a waiver for it Uh, but for the most part once they get out of that junior as an elite they have to be a one two to race in the main event we do have category three four races as well so there are lower category races that we do host uh throughout the series 
And also Sun Cities also hosts kids races. So we have everything from under five on run bikes all the way up through till 12. And then after that, it goes to the junior category. For the people who are not familiar with cycling, um, you know, let's say, for instance, the runners or the triathletes out there, just to give you an idea um, to let you kind of gauge how important this event is in, uh, you know, Vancouver and throughout North America, um, it's nine races over 10 days. Now, there's $140,000 in prize money. People yeah. such and as... that's not including premiums or anything like that or the crowd premium or anything like that. That's yeah. right. And you're drawing crowds anywhere from three to, uh, I believe, 3,000. Yeah, three to 5,000. Yeah. And down at Gastown, probably 20, around 30,000 people. Plus. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty big. Uh, you know, fellas like Chris Horner... Uh, rode in the Tour de France, you know, all the big all the big players from uh, the Tour de France come or have been at this, you know, your event, uh, your races, and have raced there. And, uh, you know, they've won and then they've moved up in the ranks of racing and where they've been picked up uh, by European teams, of course, right? So, you know, that's just information for the, the marathoners or, you know, the 10K runners who are just tuning in, picking up on our podcast here tonight. So you've been doing this for a while. Um, can you tell us some of your most memorable experiences, perhaps good, perhaps challenging, in all of the years that you've been involved with the Super Week? You know, I've been very fortunate. When, I, I don't know if I would say sort of challenges, but I, because I've been very, very fortunate that the cities have gotten behind these projects, and, and with that, you know, come uh, staff support, and then we have, of course, our internal staff with M- M1 Sports Management that uh, leads these teams, and then we also have boards within each group. Uh, that's a volunteer board that oversees various different things, whether it's the festival coordinator or the kids coordinator, uh, you know, host housing, all of these different things that we do uh, as a series. You know, the challenge probably is, is it's a bit of a, a moving circus that literally has to unfold at sometimes as early as 4.30 in the morning when we put the stage in on Water Street, as an example, we have to line the street with probably close 8,000 linear feet of, of cabling for all the TV production and sound systems. We have to put all the sponsor banners and, and VIP tents together, and you have to get engineering reports to stamp off on those structures. You have to get all the, the catering in. And these are sometimes in very dense downtown core environments where there's traffic disruptions and um, all these different challenges that come with uh, an open environment. And so I think those are the, I mean, it's fun at the same time, uh, but you have to really be on it because, you know, the, the event has to start when, when the program says the event starts. And once it ends, it becomes a massive teardown process. It's very synchronized, but it also becomes, you know, this, by 1 o'clock in the morning, everything is taken down, and then it literally is moved to the next site and you're back at it again anywhere between 5 a.m. and, you know, 8 or 9 in the morning, depending on when the race starts, uh, for the next event. So do you have? Uh, so a, I think that's part of the logistic challenge. So do you have a dedicated crew that's responsible for the setup and teardown of every race, or is it does it kind of vary from uh, location to location? Uh, we do have a dedicated set of uh, specialized, teams that we have as far as like a 
staging company that is consistent pretty much across the board or like our fencing companies and those types of groups that, that come on board. The one consistent factor probably across all the boards in essence would be, you know, myself and the M1 sports management staff that would be going from each event because not every staff person from the other cities would go to the other event. They would just focus on their event. But we're the ones that definitely know, you know, all the details of each event and how, what has to get moved, like the start pistol on the, the lap counter and bell and, you know, what cabling goes across for the photo finish people so that they don't have to show up in the morning, you know, that we synchronize with the other groups that put the gantries up and run the power lines across. And, you know, so all of those things, um, we're the ones that, that definitely know all the intricate details of, of, of those things. And I must uh, imagine that having done this for a few years and having a, a team of people who you've worked with and can trust uh, probably streamlines the process quite a bit. Yeah, you, you um, faith or, or an assurance when you're dealing with the same people year in, year out. So if a challenge does come up, which it can, you know how to work together, even though you're not the expert in sound system, let's say but you know enough about what it takes to put a sound system together that you understand how to speak to those individuals and how they can talk, they know how to talk to you so that you can work together on what you have to do behind the scenes to make sure that let's say the hour that you lost for some reason, you, you, you catch up again so that the show does turn on time. Amazing. Quite the, quite the production. Kevin Watt was telling me you're a man who wears many different hats, and the second hat we wanted to talk to you about tonight was your role in a family-friendly biking event in Vancouver. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Charmaine Crooks and I, I, I don't know if Charmaine Crooks, the name rings a bell for you, but um, one of most Canada's most decorated track and field sprinters, uh, Honor of Canada, she's received and. Um, various other accolades. Uh, we started a foundation called 365 International Sport Foundation, and the philosophy around the foundation is to bring communities together through sport. And so one of the properties that we started was the R City Ride uh, property, and, and we had a discussion with the city of Vancouver uh, around mass participation rides and you know where they wanted to go with um, promoting cycling awareness and, and um, accessibility and all of those things with, through the sport. And so we put together uh, this big festival that has a cycling component to it. So it's a nice 20-kilometer leisure ride that starts at David Lamb Park and goes around the stadiums uh, through Chinatown and Gastown, Coal Harbor, and around Stanley Park, and then comes down along English Bay and uh, back uh, towards David Lamb Park. And then at David Lamb Park, throughout the whole day, we have this amazing festival that we put on, which has a, an interactive kids zone. Uh, we're big fans of, of doing more activity-type-based stuff. So the iRide program with Cycling BC uh, was, a, was a big partner of ours on site to allow kids to do run-bike obstacle-type stuff, you know, with teeter-totters and, and roller coaster-type rides for the bikes. Uh, we had a, a KLM put on a, a parkour uh, set up so the kids could uh, go through all of these different types of obstacles. So those are the types of things that um, we had there. The Canucks, you know, had their uh, shot on goal type booth set up. So rather than doing the bouncy castle type stuff, we really wanted to do more things that were 
sort of natural type, physical type things for the kids. Yeah, kind of taking along to with that, sports. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, along with that, we had a, a pretty big beer garden there that was a family-friendly uh, zone. Uh, we had a big stage where we had bands playing. Uh, so, you know, we really tried to bring the community together, and we estimated that we had about 8,000 people How many uh, coming thousand out people? to the festival. About 8,000 people. 8,000 people. And when does yeah. this event traditionally take place, Mark? It's always been um, in August, uh, around the 18th, 20th uh, time frame. And uh, we're hoping that we'll be able to do it again for a third year uh, with new mayor and council. Uh, they're just reviewing everything on, on what they're doing. But uh, we're hoping in the next few weeks we'll have another green light to, to continue this you know, tradition here in, in the city. And, and we're also in talks with other cities across Canada right now for 2020 uh, that have seen what we've done and have looked at it and said, yeah, this is something that we really want to uh, bring to our cities as well. Yeah, it sounds like you perhaps have laid an excellent template for the other municipalities in the country. <laughs> and in the Fraser yeah. Valley. And, yeah, <laughs> and I, I, one thing I do want to add to that, as we go into the Fraser Valley party, I think there is a, a real nice tie in there. We were able to give about $20,000 worth of bikes that we purchased after each year uh, through our KLM partnerships or KLM Cares and what we made on the event that we put back into the community and we give it to kids whose parents are not in a financial position to, to buy them a bike. And that's been something really special to go to the schools. We don't tell the kids why. Uh, we just, we work with the uh, teachers and principals and we go and do a little bit of a talk around Olympics and high performance sports and professional sports. And, and then at the end we say we did this draw and, and, and the kids get the bike. So that's uh, it's, impressive. It's been a really fun experience. Yeah. It's perfect because you, uh, you, you know, you create them early. You create um, strong leadership uh, from the very, very beginning, you know, and um, and that's what it takes. It takes a person like you who cares and will reach out into the community and um, find find these people and help these people, you know, and those are the people that uh, eventually will take over your job in what you're doing eventually, you know, uh, yeah. obviously in a few years. Uh, moving out into the Fraser Valley, uh, there's a fairly significant event that is hosted on uh, yes, 20th. It is. Yeah. 20th, it, and that is the Valley Grand Fondo. Yeah, so the Prospera Valley Grand Fondo, presented by PWC, <laughs> is um, we're really excited to be given the opportunity uh, from the previous board uh, to continue this legacy. And... Um, you know, make it a platform that will continue to give back to the U19 programs uh, within the Lower Mainland, as well as Cycling BC's iRide program. So, Mark, for the listeners who are, you know, planning out their annual cycling schedule, um, tell us about the different distances of this year's Grand Fondo. Yeah, so we have a 50-kilometer uh, loop, which would probably suit very well for either somebody just getting into the sport or having a family with younger kids, but you know, old enough to still be able to do that kind of a distance. Have a hundred kilometer loop, and then we also have a true century at the 160 kilometers uh, loop. And then our uh, pricing on that, as an example, for U19s always just stays at the $45 entry. We don't ever bring that up. Um, and currently right now, you know, we're trying to keep it as 
as low as we can. We're looking to work very closely with the township of Langley. Uh, I was actually just out uh, this this morning at uh, Parks Canada Fort Langley, you know, National Historic Site, to to go over some options around how we can get them really engaged and, and showcase the fort because we feel that that's a real drawing feature uh, for the lower mainland and anyone in the future, you know, two to three years down from now when we really start trying to market also the Pacific Northwest from an image standpoint uh, to experience the sea. And then also having talks with Township uh, today to uh, make sure that they see the vision of what we want to do and, and how we want to kind of create two platforms. It's, it's the one marketing side of, of bringing cyclists out and people who enjoy riding the bike but then also reaching out to the direct community to come out as a family and benefit from the festival that we're creating. And hopefully over the years, that festival can continue to grow throughout the afternoon and maybe even into the evening uh, with bands and, you know, who knows, maybe one day we have fireworks later in the evening kind of thing. So that's sort of the vision that I'm trying to set uh, for the community. So you're not only trying to appeal to the, to the cycling community, you're trying to get the folks, whether that's in Fort Langley Township of Langley and other communities along the route help. May you might even involve Yarrow someday in that. No, so that we're, we're definitely uh, wanting to be all inclusive in, in that regard and, and uh, make sure that uh, the township and all the others, you know, partnering cities around or towns uh, feel that they are championing something that is really meaningful for their community and it's not looked at as just uh, a professional event that. that you know, company or event that's trying to come in and use their venues for um, a direct profit per se. Uh, you know, we want to really make sure that that understanding is, is that we're going to be giving back uh, to the local cycling community. And, and for us, we do want to target it uh, for this one more high performance in that sense, but it's U- U19 development. So getting it to the local clubs that are developing our under 19 athletes, because if we, if we don't help feed and grow that, portion of it, then the, the teams like the DC Bank Pro Cycling team and other teams like that in Canada or Western Canada, uh, you know, won't have the, the kind of athletes that they need uh, to pull from, um, locally that is. I'm just looking at the, the Fondo website and it says here, um, you know, of course, giving back to the sport, a portion of your registration fee, you guys, when you, when you sign up and register for the event this year, uh, a portion of that fee will go back into supporting local BC uh, junior um, cycling programs. So, you know, like Mark said, I ride and uh, DC Bank Pro and, um, you know, feeding the, the uh, Canada's only Western Canadian-based UCI um, continental team. So there's a lot of value and uh, there's a lot of, give back into the community and yeah absolutely and that's something we're really looking forward to to growing over the years so with all these things on the go mark the family ride in the middle of august in vancouver you've got the obligations with super week you've got the prospera grand fondo when do you sleep <laughs> well we we actually also run the uh Kelowna apple trap on the same weekend that we do tour the delta which is Canadian National Championships and uh, CamTri Championships uh, at the same time. Um, so so what you're saying is it, you don't sleep? Yeah, that's, it definitely is a busy month, that, that's for sure, <laughs> of, of everything that we do, um, you know, during that time. But, you know, we're fortunate that we've 
systematically been able to grow over the years and and we've you know it, it's not all at once as in, you know that we're, we're putting it together from scratch and uh i've got a good team of, of individuals um you know my wife Susie Ernsting is is very engaged in, in everything that we do as as a, as a as a as a partner in M1 Sports Management, and then our project managers that we have on, on for every event as well are, are key individuals that uh, we really rely on their ability to um, lead the teams that they're assigned to. And it sounds like you must be a pretty good manager because you've been doing this for quite some time and you're still married, so that's got to count for something. Mark, yeah. before we let you go, a couple of questions. Uh, first of all, earlier this year, uh, I was reading, I think, in the Canadian Cycling Magazine website, it was announced the RBC Whistler Fondo is going to be allowing Electra Assist bikes. So what do you think of their inclusion in your Fondo? Yeah, so we're actually... Um going to uh, look at that for sure. I think we'll, we'll be adding it. We don't see that as a detriment. Um, I've always looked at it as, you know, sometimes the purists are like, ah, it's not ideal. And, but I look at it, my family history is, is from Germany, and they've had electric bikes there for many, many years now. And at the time when my grandparents were alive, and specifically with uh, one of my grandmothers, she would have never joined in on any of the family sort of Sunday rides that they would have gone to if they if she wouldn't have had an electric bike then if you wanted to engage that person and have let they them come out like they do over there they go to a local tavern or whatever it is to have a lunch and then they ride home now you have to take another family member out of the ride to drive her there right as an example so i think there's a real benefit to to having them um if it allows people to continue to be active and and be out there I think there needs to be an education process around the road etiquette, uh, around you know the whole half wheeling and, and not sitting mm. the higher the, the tempo at the front and looking back and thinking why are you guys sweating away and, and mm. not keeping up, you know. It's, but once you know how to manage that, I think then that that's not a problem at all. And I think doing a category like that is is, is key. Uh, we're also having discussions, you know, with, with many different individuals in the lower mainland just to make sure that we're hearing all the sides and. You know, one of the interesting topics that came out was a 70-plus category and oh. being able to just have an area of, for the riders to congregate so that they didn't feel like they were all spread out and swarmed on the start line uh, and they could kind of ride up and knew who they were and they could compete against each other. Uh, and, and I think, you know, those are the little details that we want to uh, make sure that we really listen and also are able to adapt to you know, be as, as inclusive as you can and, and have everybody come out because what it is, it's about riding a bike and, and, and having a, a burger and a beer afterwards together and, and socializing, right? Do you think this year you will have faster category uh, seated first going off a little bit earlier than uh, the rest of the riders? Yeah, we in... definitely will have a, an area that will be dedicated to uh, an individual that has a Cat 123 uh, license for the 160-kilometer uh, course, mm -hmm. and then we'll allow everybody else to seat themselves uh, behind them. Uh, we won't, uh, we're, we'll, I don't have all the details yet figured out on the exact uh, protocol of what we're going to do. We'll figure that out in the next sort of four weeks here, mm -hmm. and then we're going to, you know, put it up on the website exactly what we'll be doing here in the coming month. Uh, and since, uh, once they roll out, um, I don't think it will be a problem everyone else can follow in. 
Now, there's a lot of clubs around the Fraser Valley. So, for instance, United Velo, Tri-City Cycling, um, you know, go, uh, Oldham and Brown out in Chilliwack. Um, you know, they've, they, they've got a bigger membership to their, their clubs. Are you going to offer any sort of, like, uh, a pseudo-team discount incentives? Yeah, so we already have a, a group uh, category, and I, I definitely will be having... Uh, the, the, the clubs that you mentioned are exactly on, on my talking list to, to get in touch with uh, for, for next week uh, that I want to have a t- conversation with them and, and see, you know, what's been done in the past for them and then also uh, look at how we can continue to uh, engage them and, and make it worth their time to bring as many members as they can out uh, for the event. So definitely uh, we'll, we'll look at things. But whatever we do, uh, we'll make sure that it's it's the same for everyone um, in the same scenarios, and uh, all all together that way. And and what we're trying to look at potentially doing, and I don't know if all of these little details, we'll have to figure out whether it's this year or the next one. But I wanted to create also a, a ride of champions within the, these groups, so that the youth can be inspired by some of the individuals that are also part of these clubs. I mean, we've got, you know, Scott Gogan, that's um, part of one of the ones that you mentioned there that is a medalist at the Commonwealth Games. And, and at the time when amateurs couldn't race in the pro ranks, he was the highest ranked Canadian that ever uh, placed at the Road World Championships. Uh, you know, there's, there's these individuals that we have in, in the local community. Um, you know, have got Alison Sider, Leslie Thomason, you name it. Like, there's a lot of people that have, have gone on to the Olympics and done really well that I want to have the juniors be able to look up to them. And, you know, if there's a chance that guys like Ryan Anderson, because he's in North Van, if, if, if he's not having to write after BC Super League, go back to Europe now that their team is uh, a pro-conti team and, and more based out of Europe, you know, Swain Tuff now rides with them, also from Langley. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a chance that he stays another week after BC, if he were to come out to BC Super League. I'm not saying he is, but, you know, the, I think those are the discussions that I'm going to have with, with all the riders that I know and know me well to maybe see if there's a way that we could also use them to show up on the line and inspire the youth and, and maybe do an initial rollout with the youth and, and uh, stay with them throughout the day, you know, that way. That would be pretty amazing. Um, I don't think that would just uh, not only inspire the youth. I think that would inspire a whole lot of people, right? Yeah. And it, it, I like to make sure that the youth always understand the history of where things have been in Canada. When I was an athlete, probably should have learned things quicker as well on, you know, how things are structured and, and even what the government looks like within Cycling Canada and, and, you know, who is your CEO of Cycling Canada and who is the president of Cycling Canada. You know, if you also know in the community who those other individuals are uh, that maybe didn't go to the Tour de France and have the have the, the, the name brands of some of the, the guys, like, you know, the Chris Horners that you talked about and that kind of name brand, but they've done really, really well as a, as a Canadian athlete. Uh, many of our juniors don't know who those are necessarily, right? So I think for them it's a good opportunity to come out and, and, and see those individuals and, and hopefully, I think because many of them in that generation are now giving back and contributing to the success of the sport as we move forward. Sounds like you're sowing the seeds of success for the future, not only creating a new generation of riders, but people, as you were rightfully saying, Mark, who will one day be our 
race organizers, race directors, and perhaps uh, volunteers and the people who are uh, officials at these events. So you're absolutely sowing the seeds for success. So uh, a tip of the hat to you and your organization for uh, starting this legacy um, and doing a great job. Just before we let you go, Mark, um, ordinarily we ask our guests on FitSpeak, uh, a special question, and considering you come from a cycling background, we're gonna we're gonna try this one out on you, okay? Okay. Hopefully, it's not uh, okay. ignoring so, history of history of the sport. <laughs> it's not gonna stump you. It might amuse you. So take a deep breath. Here it comes. If you could be a bicycle part, if you could be a bicycle part, what part would you be? And tell us why. I'd be a crank. A crank. Why is that? Crank. Yeah. 180 millimeter crank. Um, I was always known to try and have the longest cranks you could absolutely have, and with the biggest chain rings back then. Um, and that was kind of almost when we were on the team pursuit team, uh, a friction point because I always was trying to say to them, we, we can only go so fast turning over 120 or 30 RPM. Mm-hmm. We've got to do 120 RPM, but in a bigger gear. <laughs> so, um, I would say that that would be that would be me. Sounds pretty appropriate. Uh, cranking it fast and looking for more ways to be faster and awesome. Well, I think that's about it, Mark. We thank you so much for your time. Um, we're just going to remind our listeners of two more things. Uh, things we've spoken about already. First of all, the Fraser Valley Grand, uh, Grand Fondo starts off in Fort Langley, and that's coming up on Sunday, July twentieth. BC uh, Super Week starts when? It is. Uh, July 5th and ends on the 14th. She knows it's off by heart. <laughs> no, that's okay. And that's it, Mark. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we wish you the best of success in uh, all those things that you've got planned for this year. Well, thank you, guys, and uh, we look forward to having you even out on the ride, and uh, hopefully we'll be speaking again sometime. 